You're listening to the Bible Brush Up podcast. We are currently going through a series on the prophets and are looking at the prophet Isaiah. Uh, as we read through this book, we've already taken a look at some of the opening chapters and especially at some of the significant portions that show up in the New Testament. But now we've entered a section of this book that seems to continuously circle through various nations and cities and rulers and address their sinfulness and discuss their future. Uh, Isaiah is pointing to the, the nation of Egypt, the nation of uh, Syria, the nation of Moab, uh, and so on and so forth. He continues to look at each of these people one by one and to discuss in detail what their future looks like based on what they have done. And they've all done the same thing. They've all sinned. And uh, this is true for the people of Israel as well as the Gentile nations surrounding them. And what I think Isaiah is doing, it, doing is putting everybody on even ground here. He's not allowing one nation to be exalted above another nation, but he's demonstrating that all of these nations have committed similar sins. All of these nations have trusted in the wrong thing. They were all made by God. They were all preserved by God. Yahweh alone deserves their um, loyalty and devotion, but they have ignored him, and they have put their trust and faith in other measures to uh, have security and to prosper. And because of that, they're going to get the exact opposite of what they're looking for. While they're seeking exaltation and they're seeking to be strong and um, to be powerful, they are actually going to be brought down to destruction. They are going to be abased and they are going to experience weakness. Uh, God is going to use different nations at different times to bring about this uh, debasement and bring about um, this humility, but um, each one's going to get their turn. And he begins by uh, describing that Assyria is going to be the hand of God as he brings about judgment on people like Damascus and uh, the areas of the northern kingdom and uh, many other countries are going to face the threat of Assyria. Um, the, the Egyptians are going to have to battle it out with the Assyrians, and God is using them to bring judgment on these other countries that have ignored God and have trusted in their own power, their own chariots, their, their riches. And so place by place, he, uh, he calls out through the prophet Isaiah what it is that they've done wrong. For instance, in Egypt, they were dependent upon the Nile River, and God says he's going to dry up the Nile, and they're going to be casting their nets, and uh, it's going to be a very dark time for them because there's not going to be any food, and it's going to drive them to civil war, and neighbor's going to turn on neighbor. And all of this is described as God's judgment. God is even depicted in chapter 19 as coming on the clouds against Egypt. Um, that is just an expression used for God's judgment, even though he's not physically sending lightning bolts from heaven or doing anything supernaturally to kill off these people. It is a description of how he's using Assyria. And by his own hand, they are going to bring about death and destruction on the people of Egypt. Uh, he turns to people like Tyre, uh, who are on the coast, and he says that they're a trade commerce that they've trusted in so much to bring wealth and prosperity to their city and their region, it is going to be uh, demolished by the hand of um, these nations that God is rising up to bring about an assault and an attack. 
and um, this is going to continue to move around from place to place. I'm not going to cover every single region that is addressed here because it just goes on for so many chapters all the way into chapter 30. Uh, he's still talking about all of this. Uh, so you've got 20 something chapters of him describing with to each region how God is going to bring about this destruction. But it all comes about for the same reason. They're not trusting in God. They're trusting in other things. They're trusting in their own power, their own warriors, their own abilities to make alliances with other countries, their political power. And the end result is the same for all of them, that they will fall. Even Assyria, who is used by God to bring about the destruction of these other nations, they're going to fall. They're going to fall to the Babylonians. And uh, the Babylonians, they might at that point say, look at us, we were used by God. We were the ones who brought uh, humility to all the nations. Well, God tells them they're going to fall. And, and on goes the chain. Every single superpower that comes into play here, uh, who are all used by God for his purposes of judgment, uh, they all fall eventually. And uh, God is just showing that no power that exists on earth is a permanent power. You're simply a pawn in the game of God. God is using you for his purposes. So the best thing you can do is trust in him. The best thing you can do is to be in alliance with God so that you do not fall under his judgment, but are protected and preserved by him. And that was especially true for Israel and Judah because they were in a covenant with God where God had promised he would protect them if they relied on him and trusted in him and upheld their covenant agreement that was made back at Sinai. Uh, but they would not do that, and therefore they all get conquered. The northern kingdom gets conquered to the point that they're dispersed and scattered throughout the land and really have vanished as a people. You can't even trace them back at this point to find the, the, the different uh, tribes that were living in the north, like the tribe of Manasseh, the tribe of Ephraim, the tribe of Dan, all of these tribes have vanished because they've been absorbed into these other surrounding Gentile countries, and those bloodlines have been completely uh, obliterated. That's why we have a dislike for the Samaritans when you get to the New Testament, is because these are some of these Jewish people from the northern kingdom that have been uh, absorbed into the Assyrian culture and other surrounding cultures, and therefore they might have only had a quarter of Jewish blood in their um, DNA, and so they didn't have that pure tribal connection that they would have in the early Old Testament period, and therefore the southern kingdom that was never dispersed like that, they were taken into captivity, but they were still preserved as a people and brought back. They had disdain for this northern um, portion of Israel. And so the Samaritans uh, are looked down upon. That's why we have the Good Samaritan story. That's why we have the woman at the well who was a Samaritan and so on and so forth. Uh, but all of that uh, conflict and controversy goes back to this time period where the Assyrians are coming in and the Babylonians are coming in. And that is the result of the disobedience to God. The northern kingdom having such grand disobedience that God just basically wipes them out completely. Um, but inside of all these judgments, we have to remember to look for some good because with the prophets, though they are often reminding the people to repent and turn from their sin, they also come with words of comfort and encouragement. And there's a certain word that we have to be on the lookout for as we read through the prophets, and it's the word remnant. Because even though God is going to bring about mass judgment across the globe with all of these tribes, and this is in 
probably a dual prophecy because we have the judgment that's happening in Isaiah's time period and over the next couple of hundred years. But then we also see some more global, wide-scale judgment that probably is a reference to the end of time. But in both cases, God is preserving a remnant. He's not going to allow his faithful covenant people to be wiped out. And so that's where we get people like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who are preserved uh, even through all of this judgment. And it, it is a reminder as you read through these chapters in Isaiah that there will be a time where God calls them and, and reassembles them on Mount Zion and he will rule and reign. And in chapter 25, it talks about him abolishing death and wiping away tears. And we have these references, even though some of what he's talking about is coming within the next couple of years, um, there are some portions of this passage that are hopeful that are tied to the final coming of the Messiah when he sets everything right. And so the timeline of Isaiah is hard to follow. It's not always linear. It's not always uh, sequential. You don't have a chronological uh, outline of Isaiah starting early and ending late like you would in a narrative in prophecy. It kind of jumps back and forth and sideways and every which way and it becomes difficult to kind of understand when certain portions of this happen. Uh, as we get further into the book, we're going to see some of this uh, is prophetic of the suffering servant, of Jesus dying on the cross. And so while we have some messianic prophecies tied to his first coming and some messianic prophecies tied to his second coming, and there's probably some of it that is tied to in between, that is fulfilled in the church itself. Uh, and But it becomes difficult to get a true grasp on the timeline if we're not careful. So just Interpret the Old Testament in light of the New. That's the one thing I'll say about that. As you look at the New Testament, you read what it says clearly. That is what you should use as a lens to make sense of the Old Testament. What Jesus says, what Paul says, what John says, um, that helps us interpret the Old. But you kind of need to know what the Old says in order to even grasp what they're talking about. There are so many things in these chapters that as I read through it, I was like, oh, that's in the New Testament. Oh, that's in the New Testament. Uh, little phrases that keep popping up. I mean, Paul's whole declaration in 1 Corinthians 15, death, where is your sting? Death was swallowed up. I just read that here in Isaiah in one of these chapters, that death was swallowed up, uh, probably in chapter 25 there. So these are important for us in our New Testament interpretation. Uh, but make sure that you don't interpret your eschatological view or the timing of these events solely on what the Old Testament says by itself, but that you use the New Testament as a lens and a grid for interpreting those Old Testament uh, prophecies. But one other thing I think is worthy of pointing out is that as you read about this remnant and these uh, people that will be saved in the end, it's not just Israel. It's not just Jewish people. Um, there is references to Egypt and Assyria even being brought together in the end, and they will be taught wisdom, and they will know and understand, and they will uh, worship the true God. It even says that there will be a, a road connecting Egypt and Assyria, even though these are the people that are going to kill each other right now. And one of them's being used as God's uh, hand of judgment against the other. There will come a time where that will all be put aside and that will be forgotten and done away with. And these people will come together even with Israel 
and they will worship together as the people of God. It even calls uh, them my people, uh, a phrase that's often associated just with the Jewish people, but this is referring to the Egyptians and the Assyrians. They are called my people. And when you get to the New Testament and you get to the book of First Peter chapter 2, he makes reference to the church as being my people. A people who were not my people are called my people. And this is also a quote from the book of Hosea in chapter 2. And all this just to say that God is certainly going to judge the world. He's certainly going to bring universal judgment upon the people who have sinned against him and have violated uh, the, the, the righteousness of God and his holy standard. But there is going to be a people from every tribe, nation, and tongue that bow down before him. And this is what we see collectively in the church today. Jesus has already begun this work of calling together his people. He's already built inroads between Egyptians and Assyrians and in every other country where we come together not as a geopolitical kingdom of this world but as representatives of God's kingdom we are ambassadors for him and we live together in harmony and love one another even though our nations may be at war we can still love each other and have peace between us and obviously that will be in its greatest expression when Jesus comes back and he uh, brings, brings to us the new heaven and the new earth in which we will live temptation-free, death-free, pain-free, and uh, we will experience that forevermore. So we're going to conclude there for today. We'll see you next time.